Live from York, this is The Late Show with Christopher Valves. Good evening and welcome. Tonight we're going to be talking about the value of creative writing activities in English prisons with criminologist Dr Ella Simpson and film writer and ex-prisoner Cam Stevens. So join us as we explore the pressures that exist on prison education, the value of a creative prison curriculum and how we might develop creative potential in prisons. Live from York. This is The Late Show with Christopher Valls on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everyone and thank you for joining me this evening at the start of the busiest half term of the year. Here in North Yorkshire, spring is already showing every sign of arriving. The snowdrops are making their first appearances in the shady spots beneath the churchyard cherry tree. Sprightly hares are joining the pheasants in their games of chicken on the country lanes of the county. And our exam year students have been planning for the coursework submission mock exam and progress review dates that approach as subtly and as quickly as the lighter evenings. In the last few days before the half-term break, we had a library full of sixth form students briefly look up from their textbooks and flashcards to take in a particularly glorious 5pm sunset. This half-term holiday, I finally got round to taking my daughter on her first ever foreign trip after Covid had scuppered our plans to visit Spain a few years ago. She has been excited about the French lessons that she began at the start of year three and has now committed a few basic introductory phrases to memory. She also received a copy of an excellent beginner's French book from her French aunt at Christmas that cleverly combines a comic strip style mystery story in simple French with a progressive glossary, information on parts of speech and examples of how to put sentences together. All of this learning is picked up as the reader attempts to solve some kind of mystery that involves a map, a crumbling grand chateau, and a small band of intrepid primary school age adventurers. Consequently, the week before last, we traveled to Paris as a family on the Eurostar, avoiding all of the hassle that goes with airports during the school holidays and being blessed with sunshine for much of our brief sojourn in the French capital. In three action-packed days, we took in the Eiffel Tower, the Jardin de Luxembourg and des Plantes, the exterior of Notre Dame Cathedral as its restoration continues, and the traffic on the Seine as we made our way round the city by hop-on, hop-off water taxi. One thing that particularly struck me as we walked around the city centre looking for places that served food at between 5 and 6pm was just how late in the day some French primary school children seemed to finish. The only primary school children we saw in the mid-afternoon were all wending their way carefully along the banks of the Seine in orderly lines under the patient supervision of their teachers. These school day-trippers had, perhaps, spent the morning roaming the attractive menagerie of the Jardin de Plantes and drawing red pandas, or learning about dinosaurs in the nearby Museum of Natural History, 
or trying to name some of the more exotic plant specimens held in the elaborate glasshouse. Half-term has not all been about renewing acquaintances with the European continent, however. A-level English Literature NEA coursework has been marked in preparation for moderation next month. This year's tasks have included some interesting work on Catherine Stockett's US post-slavery novel The Help and Yukio Mishima's Japanese novel Spring Snow. As ever, I'm curious to see what my departmental colleagues will make of this year's crop of essays. Is historical fiction due a comeback on A-level literature NEA reading lists? I feel it could be. Of course, I've been on the lookout too for contemporary texts that might merit analysis through the six critical lenses prescribed by AQA on their A-level Lit B syllabus. I've just started Sylvia Moreno-Garcia's gothic horror novel Mexican Gothic, which, five chapters in, seems to have something imaginative to say about the high gothic tradition drawing inspiration from the Yellow Wallpaper, Northanger Abbey, Dracula and Jane Eyre, among other classics of the genre. We are invited to follow the adventures of a socialite in her early 20s from Mexico City, dispatched by her father to check up on her female cousin, who appears to be held captive in a decaying big house in the country. Upon her arrival, she finds that her Anglophile hosts observe a series of strange traditions, that hark back to the days of European colonisation and that the very walls of the family's claustrophobic living quarters appear to be haunted. There seems to be a lot packed into the 320 or so pages and some of the visual description seems tailor-made for a screen adaptation in the not-too-distant future. I return to school on Friday and I'm in the final stages of preparing my Year 11 students for their compulsory English language speaking and listening tests, and my Year 13 students for their second set of English Literature mock exams, knowing that we are now on the verge of the final revision run-in. March sees us bringing our Erasmus project on environmental responsibility to a conclusion when our corresponding schools in Ireland, Germany and Czechia visit us in North Yorkshire to write up their research work and present their findings. Later in the month, our school will be paying tribute to the founder of the Benedictine tradition, St Benedict of Nursia, with everyone taking a break from the classroom to share in a whole school programme of spiritual activities, service work and community celebrations. Things seem reasonably settled at the moment, and I hope this continues in the few short weeks to Easter. In tonight's show, we return to our ongoing examination of the educational provision available to those learners serving custodial sentences in England's prisons. As of Friday, the 17th of February, 2023, the prison population in England and Wales stood at 83,000 687, with 80,398 prisoners held on the male estate and 3,289 on the female estate. The usable operational capacity for England and Wales is presently set at 84,844, equivalent to the total population of Aylesbury in Buckinghamshire, and slightly greater than that of Derry, Londonderry in Northern Ireland. How many of these individuals, we may well ask, are looking for an opportunity to make 
some kind of useful contribution to society upon their release. And if they could, what implications might this have for the amount of public money we spend every year on putting these people out of sight and out of mind? And how many potential creatives sit among these 84,844 individuals who might benefit from the time, skills and encouragement to realise frustrated ambitions, disappointed hopes and previously uh, unacknowledged talents? We have heard in previous episodes about the distinctly variable nature of educational opportunities on the prisoner state of England and Wales, about the challenges of trying to pursue a meaningful course of higher education from a prison cell, about the negative effects of COVID on the literacy and numeracy skills that sit at the heart of the core prison curriculum offer, and about the personal obstacles to reintegration that many prisoners experience upon their release, even for those who have made the life-changing decision to commit to a purposeful programme of academic or vocational self-development on the outside. Tonight's guests each have direct personal experience of these issues. Dr. Dr. Ella Simpson is a criminologist based at the University of Greenwich, where she researches creative writing in the criminal justice sector. Before returning to academia, Ella worked for over a decade as a creative writing facilitator in several prisons in England. Ella is fascinated by the stories that are made in prisons, but also by the prisons that we make from our stories. And conversely, the ways that stories can set us free. Good evening, Ella, and thank you for being with us on Teachers Talk Radio tonight. Hi, Christopher. Good evening. Uh, thank you for, for hosting us um, for what promises to be um, a really interesting discussion. Thank you. Good to have you with us. My second guest, Cam Stevens, is Senior Digital Consultant at Penal Reform Solutions. Drawing upon his personal experience of the criminal justice system and his own rehabilitative journey, Cam creates digital work aimed at raising the key issues that exist on the English prison estate and endorsing a positive approach to personal growth. Cam was an early participant in a series of creative writing workshops facilitated by Ella at Guy's Marsh Prison. Upon release, Cam was awarded a Longford Trust Scholarship to study film production at Bath Spa University, which he has recently completed. He is currently planning an ascent on Mount Everest with a group of former residents of Guy's Marsh to highlight the potential of a rehabilitative model for supporting a successful transition to life on the outside. Hello, Cam. Are you available to call in now if you're there on the line? We'll just wait for Cam to join us and perhaps we'll start off, Ella, with the question, I suppose, that it's uppermost in our minds. I suspect creativity in prisons are two words that most members of the great British public would not necessarily see as connected. Could you start us off, please, with a summary of your research into creative writing teaching in prisons? What prompted you to start working in this area and what has your work uncovered? Yes, of course. Um, And so I think you're right. Uh, Creativity and prisons is is very often um, an oxymoron. Um, And particularly, you know, you, you were just given those kind of statistical 
breakdowns of the number of people who are in um, our prisons at the moment. A lot of prisons are overcrowded, which impacts um, negatively um, on the types of rehabilitative program that can be delivered into prisons. Um, and then also compounded, I think, as you said, with um, the effects of COVID. Um, so, yeah, something that we, we, we wouldn't normally put together. Um, the reason that I think I began to put those things together um, actually comes from personal experience. So um, in the old days, I was a juvenile delinquent. Um, that's kind of the path I was on. And um, fortunately, was introduced to the creative arts. Um, I already wrote, actually, secretly, um, because it was quite a shameful thing to do. In a, I grew up in a, a working class community in the north of England, um, and, and writing wasn't a very cool thing to do. Um, but yeah, so I was already kind of secretly scribbling. And then in my teenage years, I was introduced to um, a youth theatre through the local education authority, um, which was, I don't know if it still is, Wigan Local Education Authority at the time was very progressive. Um, and they were incredibly supportive um, of creative arts activities. And so actually, in a sense, poetry and, and creative writing kept me out of prison. Um, and then years later, when I started to, I did an undergraduate degree in creative writing and publishing um, at Middlesex University. And when I began to think through my own process of how I'd ended up in, in, in this place that was somewhat of a surprise, um, I, I went back to, you know, those kind of those ideas about the, the associations with, with the criminal justice system and and how my sort of creative practice had moved me away from that. And, and finally, as a culmination of that process, poetry brought me back into prison or, or introduced me into prison um, in a very different, different way. And I started um, delivering creative writing workshops into a women's prison um, in, in the south of England. Um, and it was a transformative experience. Um, for me, writing had always been meaningful for my group of friends and, and colleagues. Uh, writing was an important uh, way to articulate our ideas. But to introduce that into the community of a, a prison and to see how writing could connect people, could provoke ideas, sometimes difficult ideas, uncomfortable ideas, but in ways that gave people agency to begin to tell their stories in their own way and fit together those pieces um, was quite incredible. And I was hooked. So I went, I, I did, I was meant to do 10 weeks um, of voluntary uh, creative writing facilitation, one workshop a week um, for 10 weeks. And I stayed for two years. Um, I just really enjoyed the work. I was hooked on it. Um, so that was kind of the start. 
um, of my journey as a, a practitioner, a creative facilitator working in prisons. Um, and then 10 years down the line, I, and, and by this point, I was, I, was, um, I was doing much more creative facilitation in, in a number of prisons, but I could never get money. I could never get funding. You know, I would do it on the tail end of something else, or I would do it as an adjunct to some other educational function or role that I was playing in the prison. Um, and that was really frustrating because I see, you know, more and more, the more I worked um, with, with groups um, and ran creative writing workshops, the more that I felt uh, that this work had an impact and had value. So I was then offered the opportunity, uh, quite unexpectedly, uh, to take up a funded PhD um, at Bath Spa University um, under the supervision of, of Professor Laura Caulfield, um, who's an expert in this field, and uh, Dr. Catherine Morgan, um, who um, is a probation uh, specialist. Um, and so they kind of took a punt. They took a chance on, um, at that point, I was a prison librarian um, and creative writing facilitator. And they said, yeah, come and do a PhD in uh, forensic psychology with us, which looks at the use of creative arts interventions um, in the management of uh, prisoners. Can I just so take you what... back, Ella, to yes, that first creative writing class where you mm. turn up and you sit or you stand in front of the group of people you're going to be working with. What was that initially like? Uh, frightening. Prisons are quite scary, um, and in, not in the room itself, but the get the get into the room, the get get into the. And actually, it wasn't a classroom; it was um, it was a room in one of the residential wings. So there are lots of big clanging gates to get through, and uh, lots of unfamiliar um, sights and 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 sounds and smells prisons generally don't smell great um so it was quite unnerving and interestingly when i did my research um with 19 creative writing practitioners uh, who've worked extensively in prisons um one of the things that came up we one of the things in, in the conversation we were having was this idea of terror this kind of primordial terror that you're entering this, this terrifying, this scary place. Um, so there was some of that going on, in fact, and just trying to adjust to being in this environment. Um, but the thing that I suppose calms that or ameliorates that is quite quickly the conversations and the interactions that I, I began to have with the women it was a women's prison, I don't know if I said that, with the, the women in that room, um, who were interesting and interested, engaged and engaging, had brilliant stories. One of my uh, key experiences, really, of working in prisons, everywhere, and, and prisons have lots of bad things and lots of tragedy and lots of things that we really, you know, we would really rather not that people were exposed to that. But there's also great humour. 
I think I've never laughed anywhere so much as in a prison. Um, and sometimes it's dark humour and sometimes it's kind of camaraderie. But, but there's this great kind of ability um, to see the bizarre or the, the funny side of something. Um, so that as well was part of those interactions. So quite quickly, um, I, I forgot about the surroundings and I was able um, to engage with these stories and these ideas. And, um, and, and people in prison generally are the best critical thinkers. Um, I guess I don't know, you know, you've got a lot of time to sit and think in prison. Um, a lot of people, a lot of women particularly, will say they only read when they get to prison because they've got time to do it and they'll come down to the library um, and, and start, you know, start reading, pick up a book. So there's more thoughts. Um, and I think generally, you know, people who end up going to prison um, are made to feel like outsiders. Um, they are marginalised. Um, before prison and once they come into prison and sadly very often also after prison. Um, so I think that gives people an awareness of or, or an ability to question things that most of us might take for granted. Um, so that is one of the really interesting kind of conversations um, that has gone on in prison workshops throughout a career. Uh, and I've definitely learned as much from people in prison than, than I've taught um, or facilitated. But then, of course, there's writing. So I remember, um, maybe not the first workshop I did, but quite near to, to the start of working in Danview, somebody put together a, a poem that was just incredibly powerful. And it, it was, you know, so it was a scaffolded, structured exercise which enabled a writer to use words in unexpected ways just because of the way that the exercise was structured. But this woman had, had put that exercise together in such a way that she was able to name emotions as metaphors, as concrete nouns, in ways that I think probably every, every woman in that, that group identified with. And it was almost like, you know, you, 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 have, I don't know, you have a nebulous substance, you have something that you just can't get a hold of. It's too hot or it's too spiky or it's, it's just too uncomfortable to hold. And this poem was almost like a, a cup, a, a rambit, you know, or a vessel. Um, and it was contained um, in that structure of words. And I thought, wow, th th this is what poetry is for. You know, this is what creative writing is for. Um, and that probably is a great question. Thank you, Christopher, because that probably is what really hooked me. Because then I saw, I guess I'd always had a bit of that... Um, idea that came from my upbringing that writing poetry isn't a proper job it doesn't poetry doesn't do things in the outside world it doesn't pay the rent and I thought wow poetry does amazing things um so that's that was definitely um a key factor 
in me continuing and, and, and continuing to do that work um, at any opportunity, really. Thank you very much for that. I'm just going to say hello to Cam, who's now joined us on the line. Good evening, Cam. Uh, good to hear from you tonight. How are you? Thank you so much for, for in, inviting me to your show. I'm really happy to be here. What a great discussion. Fantastic. And Ella was just talking about that sense of labelling and naming things. Um, does that chime in any way with your experience of starting as a creative writer in the prison estate? Yes. Yeah, so um, I guess labels are something that people in prison, I guess, are, are quite used to. So um, I guess somebody who ends up in prison, they automatically get labelled. Um, maybe criminal or ex-offender. Um, and I guess there's quite a lot of negativity around, um, I guess, the fact that some people do end up in prison. And um, these labels, I guess, help them to pick up negative, um, I guess, stereotypes. And then they start to, I guess, take on these negative um, labels that, I guess, get thrown around in a prison environment. So. Um, I guess, yeah, it's definitely, definitely one of the areas where, um, I guess, creativity and creative writing can help people to express themselves. So um, I see a lot of creative people within this state. Um, and there is, I guess there's something about challenging, I guess, stereotypes in prison and, and being vulnerable and being yourself. So um, there is also, I guess, the stigma um, about being tough in prison. And sometimes people who do stuff like this, they fall into that category of being uncool. Um, so I guess that's another reason so why some people might tend to shy away from, I guess, um, creative aspects. But the people who do, um, I've seen them get such a great benefit from their, from um, programs that do creative um, writing within prisons. So um, I've been part of a group um, I've done a, I've done a masterclass um, with Dr. Ella Simpson, and the participants in that course were like so. Let's say they were so like in tune with what they were doing after the first few weeks. Um, people really started to like deep dive into their own creativity and. All of the stories that came out in their own right were absolutely phenomenal. Um, and I could just see how people were just using, I guess, the creative writing to escape where they were, you know, even if it was just for a few hours and to dive into, I guess, lands of fantasy. And um, yeah, it was just a really, really great, great experience to be a part of. And I think that there is definitely um, a mass, massive place for creative writing within, I guess, the correctional settings, especially in terms of expressing oneself and um, yeah, getting in tune with, I guess, one's inner inner creative. I think is definitely definitely helps to um, deal with some of the stress that happen within a correctional setting. So yeah, brilliant. Thank you, Cam, for that. We'll come back to that in a bit more detail after the news. But I might just ask Ella at this point then, if you could just give us an overview, Ella, of how this particular creative writing programme that Cam was on was set up and administered at Guy's Marsh Prison. Yeah, so actually Cam reminded me, um, it's very important, we called it the masterclass. 
Um, and it was really an acknowledgement of what Cam said as well. There's a lot of creative talent, um, in my experience, I found in prisons. And um, there's been a shift more and more in recent years to kind of highlighting the ways in which creative writing can be used to introduce people into education. So more kind of foundational learning. Um, and then the sort of agenda for um, employment uh, and training and education. So it becomes more vocational, um, essentially. And I think that's really important. I'm, I'm not knocking it. Um, but I think it misses um, this other dimension of creative writing in prisons, which is there are people who are already quite accomplished, um, talented, um, perhaps already sort of working on stuff on their own, but, but not talking about it, or, or perhaps just never really giving themselves um, that permission. So we called it the masterclasses. And rather, what happens quite often with guest uh, creative facilitators is we get parachuted in for a workshop or a few weeks, um, and then we're gone again. And, and feedback and also there's research that suggests that that can be quite detrimental. You know, people are, are quite crushed. They feel a sense of sort of loss when, when this, um, this sort of forum for self-expression is taken away. So I didn't want to do that um, with the work we did at Guy's Marsh. And we already had quite a good relationship with HMP Guy's Marsh. Um, and they have both, in terms of their education providers, very progressive and also um, the prison governors, the, the uh, senior management team, um, are very sort of um, supportive of these kind of initiatives. So we said, right, let's do three months. Um, we'll do a full Saturday morning every week for three months. Um, we videoed, that's by university, have a... Um, a significant number of creative writing tutors who are also well-known writers. Um, and so we got um, four um, of those tutors to um, video record sort of masterclass workshops. And then I provided the continuity between that, all with the aim of introducing new styles and genres um, to the writers in the group and, and allowing them to um, experiment, just play and, and, and see what worked for them. So that was kind of the motive um, behind the workshops. And, and so that's what we did. We went in, uh, did some publicity for it, started off with a very big group. I think we started off with about 25 uh, participants and, and that reduced. And we ended up with a serious kind of hardcore, um, a very committed, um, talented writers. Um, yeah, and so we worked together for three months. At the end of it, every one of those writers who'd stayed in the group had produced um, at least a, a chapter or a, a substantial extract of a piece of work. Uh, we had some novels, we had a memoir, um, an autobiographical piece. So we put those together into an anthology, um, which was called Chrysalis Chronicles, um, and, and that's available. Um, and we did, we went back into the prison and, and launched um, 
that um, anthology. Um, and it, in fact, and the governor came to that, and so we invited people from the outside um, just to have that kind of acknowledgement and recognition um, of what these men had achieved. Um, and actually, before we did the project, everybody kept telling me it couldn't be done. And some people I really respect, colleagues in, in the sector who I really respect, who were saying, no, it can't be done. It won't work. Um, and I think probably, I don't know if you agree with this, Cam, the men when we started in the group kind of weren't sure um, that it could be done. Um, and I think one of the most exciting moments for me um, during the workshops was the realisation that we not only could we do it, but we had done it. You know, we produced um, this th these pieces of writing that were meaningful and had us all gripped. Um, I remember read rounds where, you know, everybody was just leaning in. Um, and then also the, the, the critique and the constructive criticism that came from the group, which I think was really important. So we supported and developed each other's work as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that was kind of that that was the um, that was the program, and unfortunately, it didn't run the next year because of COVID. Um, uh, yeah, put a, so, put paid to a lot of things in a lot of places, but creative writing was one of the so. casualties at Guy's Marsh. It was, yes, sadly so. Okay, well, thank you, Ella. That's been really good in mapping out how the course operated um, in the prison. We're going to break for the news now, and then I'm hoping Cam will give us an insight into his experience on the creative writing program at Guy's Marsh. And I think we're going to be joined by another guest shortly after that, too. We'll be back uh, right after this. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading! This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. STV reports that a council in Scotland could become the first to open schools for four days per week. According to the report, West Dunbartonshire Council is currently considering the proposals alongside a range of other measures as part of a bid to plug a £15 million funding gap. Currently, primary schools in the county are open to pupils from 9am to 3pm each day, with secondary schools running an asymmetric week with seven periods on Mondays and Tuesdays and six periods daily Wednesday to Friday. The new proposals would see primaries open Monday to Thursday with hours of 8.30am to 3.45pm and secondary schools running an eight-period day, Monday to Thursday, beginning at 8.20am and ending at 4.10pm. The plans were shared with parents and are for the 2023-24 to 24 academic year. The other proposals being considered for education across the council are a reduction in the number of learning assistants, a review of grants for uniform, removal of breakfast clubs in primary schools and swimming lessons for pupils in primary four. 
West Dunbartonshire Council says the plans would have no impact on teaching time or teacher numbers, but that savings would be made in costs for transport and energy usage. It does acknowledge that the proposals may impact upon childcare arrangements for parents and that consideration must be given to support vulnerable children. Plans for fifth date provision for those children is being explored. The plans are likely to find favour with unions as during June 2022's AGM for Education Institute Scotland, delegates backed a motion calling for a move to a four-day week, stating that it could improve the standard of teacher well-being. There is some concern, however, on the possible impact of the sort of move on those with non-teaching roles in schools. The Council will consider proposals during a meeting on March the 1st, 2023, before any further steps to consultation can be taken. The Channel Island of Guernsey has released the finding of its latest young people survey. The results seem to indicate that vaping in schools is on the rise and that there has been an increase in bullying reports amongst children in Year 8 and Year 10. In better news, 40% of pupils surveyed believe their school now takes bullying seriously a significant increase in the 26% figure from 2019. There has also been a significant uplift in the numbers of young people who cycle or walk to school, from 26% in the 2016 survey to 40% in 2022. Year 6 pupils walk or cycle the most. In terms of health, 40% of those surveyed admitted to trying vaping, although cigarette usage was down at only 15%. More Year 10 girls vape than Year 10 boys. The survey is completed every three years. Finally, Sir David Attenborough has praised Sunderland University's decision to join BAFTA's Albert Education Partnership to teach students the importance of creating sustainable content. Students on Sunderland's MA Media Production Programme will benefit from teaching on topics such as the science of climate change, the environmental impact of the film and TV industries, sustainable pro production practices and creating content with strategic environmental purpose. Sir David said that saving the planet is now a communications challenge. Whilst Gary Stubbs, leader of the MA programme at Sunderland said, the university's film and TV department is set to take green issues to task. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm asking a question that you don't dare to ask. There are some things in life that you're desperate to know, but just can't find the right person to ask. And when you try to search for it, incognito, of course, the answer still eludes you. Whether you're returning from, are on, or have already completed your half-term break, you can count on me to address the tech issues that face us in our classroom. Today, I ask, what is that bloody big hole in my desk for? You know, the round one that's too big for a cup holder, and if I poke any wires through it, the second I unplug and change rooms, they tie themselves into an array of knots that a master sailor would be proud of. If you're driving or operating heavy machinery, pull over, I've found out what it's for, and found a use for it. It's called a desk grommet, and it is for wires. But it's for wires when you're not hot desking and you're staying at the same desk with the same equipment. Some clever companies have come up with some solutions that you may want to get your school to invest in. The most basic is a flexible rubber desk grommet. This simply shoves into the hole and has a star-shaped rubber grip. Pull wires through it, and they won't slip back through. I found a pack of three 
for £7. Bargain! Invest in a bit more, you can get a kit to make it a USB charging station. Now that would be rather more useful for bouncing from lesson to lesson. The cheapest I could find was around £20. Using the search term desk grommet cable management, I found for £27 a grommet with a standard UK plug socket, two USB charging ports and an RJ45. For the non-geek, an RJ45 is the Ethernet cable socket you plug your computer into to get the internet using a wire. This goes to show there's a tech solution for everything. Do you have a tech question that you're afraid to ask? Why not send it to at TT Radio Official? I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome back. I'm discussing creative writing in prisons this evening. We've just heard from Dr. Ella Simpson about the experience of creative writing practitioners working in prisons. Now, Cam Stevens was an early student of one of the creative writing programs at Guy's Marsh Prison, established in the last five or six years. So, Cam, what prompted you to commit to undertaking a creative writing course during your period at Guy's Marsh? What were you hoping to gain from it and what kept you going? Well, like um, Dr. Simpson um, just um, referred to, I, some people in prison had already um, been undertaking creative writing in their own, their own time just to express themselves. And I was one of these people. So I'd already written a play and um, I was in the mind frame that I was going to write for TV and that was what I was going to do. So when I saw the poster for the creative writing um, masterclass, I, I signed up straight away. Um, I was eager. I had I knew exactly what I wanted. So I went in there really headstrong and we sat down and I was like, right, I know what I want to do. I want to write for TV. And Dr. Simpson said to me, okay, let's, um, let's try and put down some ideas. So um, that's how I, I started. Um, and for me, I felt that something was calling me to do to do this kind of work and to be in this space. And it was something really, really positive, I guess, in a really negative environment. So it was, it was a bit of an escape to, I guess, get away from the commotion, the noise, the banging, the, the chaos of what happens on the wing and to go into a classroom and to, to be sitting with, uh, I guess, a bunch of creative writers, right? Because we we're all writers in our own right. And that was really, really special. So every week um, I attended every session. Um, some of the guys, they, they tried to attend every session, but they had things going on, I guess, um, on the wing where they live situation. So some people couldn't make it, but the ones that did stick out the course, um, they they got something really massive for me, you know, for for us to get published at the end of the course, it was like such a major achievement for the guys. Um, and um, some of them I'm, I'm still in contact with and they're still writing. One of um, the, the first cohort has been writing a novel. Um, I've been coaching him with that and mentoring him with that and telling him to keep going because he's a fantastic writer. Um, so yeah, for me, I feel like the, the writing course that, that we've done in Guys Ross, it just showed that there is a need for this, for people to, I guess, have a, a place where they can feel safe and they can express themselves and they can escape, I guess, 
you know, the, the everyday troubles and challenges that they have to face, I guess, when you're incarcerated. Yeah, and what kind of community environment then is established in the classroom while you're sitting there thinking about what you're going to write? Well, that's the thing, right? Um, when, I guess, new groups come together, they they go through the motions. You know, there's um, the four different stages of, I guess, um, um, group, group dynamics. So you have um, your, your forming, your norming, your storming and your performing. Um, not in that order but so yeah we i guess we first had to figure each other out um and ella was really really good at i guess being a um moderator you know she kept people in check made people be respectful um i remember there was there was one situation that happened in the class and um there was a little bit of a confrontation and somebody ended up walking out the class um a little bit heated and the next week they came back to the class you know and they apologized and because they went away and they thought about what they'd said how it affected the other people in the group and we just really started to bond and the thing that was really magical is that the class brought together people that would never usually even say hello to each other like um there was some there was a gentleman who was probably in his 60s or 70s there was guys in their their 90s and 20s there was black guys, there was white guys, you know, there was mixed race guys, there was people from all walks of life and they were just there for one reason, for the love of the art, right? For the love of telling that story um, and imagining where their stories could go. Everybody talked about getting published and, you know, dreaming of being a writer for TV or for film. So I guess it gave people hope and hope is such an important thing in prison um, just because without it, it reinforces, I guess, recidivism, you know, um, because when people don't have hope, um, especially being in, uh, I get incarcerated, it's so easy to come out and fall back into the same cycle, what got people into prison in the first place. But when you plant that seed of hope, um, people start believing in themselves. People start dreaming that there's a, a life out there that, is different than the one they've been leading. So, and I saw the magic of that myself, um, being offered a place to go to university from prison, um, which I which I did take, and I held onto that with both hands. And you know, I'm I've now graduated university, and I work in prisons now as a senior digital consultant for Penal Reform Solutions and Grow Transform Belong. Um, so right now, I'm currently working in about four establishments in prisons, going in and working with the staff and the residents. And this all came from, you know, me attending a creative writing course, you know. Uh, I never thought my life was going to go this way. I never thought that. It's one of those unpredictable turns it's taken. Yeah. yeah and I understand I you were that, you know? writing a play while you are in there. Could you tell our listeners a bit more about that, Cam? Yeah, so um, I started working with Dr. Sarah Lewis, who was piloting the Growth Project. So she went away to Norway and done her PhD on the Norwegian prison system, um, especially concentrating on, I guess, organisational growth and culture. Um, so she went and done a study over there for, I think, three to five years, and she came back to the UK and she set up her own organisation to go and carry on the, re the work from the research that she had done in, um, in Norway. So I, I, I met her at a time where when my life was in crisis. I... Um, 
I was in a really sticky situation within prison. Um, I didn't want to be living that life. I, I, I needed something positive because, like I said, um, prison is a really hopeless place. So meeting her completely changed my life and gave me purpose and made me try to do something that was bigger than myself. So when she asked me to create a project that was going to bring meaning to the staff and the men within the establishment, um, I decided to write a play. Um, just because it was something that I, I'd always been interested in. And I guess I never thought I was good enough. I guess it's that monkey brain telling me, you know, that you can't, who do you think you are? You're, you're not smart enough. You're not clever enough. You're not creative enough, you know. So I guess my own demons were telling me this for many years. And um, when I wrote the play and I presented it to her, um, she came to see me the next day and she said to me, wow you are a writer and um i guess from there from that moment i guess that seed of hope was planted in me and we we are basically involved prisoners from all over the prison estate in this production and we got talent scouts to come in from various organizations and members of the community to get involved with this project and we put on eight shows and it was uh raving success raving success i think that um we raised over a thousand pounds for for the local charity that supports the men coming out of guys marsh um we had the principal of the royal central school of speech and drama come to the prison with his wife and watch the performance he offered some of the guys places at the royal central when they got out if they were interested in the arts so it really created a lot of opportunities and gave a lot of people hope and it brought the staff and the residents closer together and i guess humanized the people and i guess it just kind of broke down that, that barrier between them and us and i saw how the relationships grew between the staff and the men the trust grew and i think if uh, the program had continued there would have been a lot more successes coming out of the establishment. But unfortunately, as Dr. Ellison has said, um, COVID has thrown a big spanner um, in not just creative writing, but education as a whole across the, the penal estate. Thanks, Cam. I understand the play had quite a gritty theme as well that was of particular relevance to uh, inmates at Guy's Marsh. You had to tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Yeah, so... Um... Guy's Marsh was going through a, a grip of a, how can I explain? Basically, it was riddled with a psychoactive substance called Spice at the time. Um, I think there had been about four deaths in the establishment while I was there. And every day there was ambulances in and out of the establishment, every day, all day, taking people to hospital who were succumbing to the, the, um, the effects of um, these drugs. So I wrote a play that basically put up a mirror on what was going on in the community. And staff said to me that they had never thought of people going through those kind of situations. And it kind of opened up their eyes to, I guess, the struggles that people have with addiction and how um, the effects that that can have on them, the community and their family as well. So. Um, it had a massive impact. Um, drug use in the prison went down, I think, dropped about 85% over the next following month. 
Um, we have so many people in the prison saying they wanted to get, in, get involved. They wanted to be a part of the solution. I had people saying to me, you just showed me my life and I don't want to be that person no more. And I'm going to try and reach out and get help. So it just showed people that it's okay to be vulnerable. And um, yeah, I, I got a lot of respect from it. Um, a lot of people wanted to get involved in the project throughout um, the, the establishment. And even the governor of the prisoner said to me that, you know, what you are seeing you do for the rest of the residents through this, um, through this program has been nothing but amazing. And I guess that's when I realized that helping other people was really important to me and fulfilling to me. Um, so that's why I am now working in prison reform, um, just to try and go back and give people some hope like I was given. Brilliant. Thank you very much for talking us through that, Cam. Um, we're now joined by another guest, Simon Davey. Now, Simon, I understand you have experience of the criminal justice system yourself through your own lived experience, but have also been involved in uh, organising creative writing workshops. Would you like to talk to us about your experience? Yeah, so um, I've always been interested in writing and have previously done some editing work even prior to my time in custody. Um, and I found writing personally initially um, to be a great way of analysing the situation that led me there in the first place but also processing the experience of being in prison as Cam has alluded to prison is a loud um, lively smelly place and it's a, a, an entirely alien um, concept to me and writing was a way especially when that door was shut at night to process everything without um, going completely mad but also um, of documenting my experiences and the process of change I went through whilst I was in prison and that inspired me um, to then work alongside the Writers Bureau in Arvon um, to do writing workshops. I haven't done any work in prisons yet but it's something I'm hoping to change soon um, and the power of writing, the power of poetry and the power of creativity in prison um, is huge for rehabilitative change but also um, for helping people to process their own emotions, for keeping people calm, um, and also as a way of communicating. A lot of men in prison have pro problems expressing themselves, and there's a huge amount of talent in prison, and actually people who have never done any writing previously um, find themselves discovering a talent they never thought they had, and given the right opportunities and the right support, as, as Cameron said, that they're able to drive that forward into things post-custody. Uh, thank you very much. And in terms of uh, your own experience, what were you writing while you were in prison yourself? Um, for me, it was a series of short stories and also lots and lots of poetry. To this day, I've still got, I think, about 35 notepads just full of poems. Um, everything from reflections on experiences I'd had whilst I was in custody and the day-to-day situ -day situations through to the things that led me to prison in the first place and broken family relationships as a result of that. Um, and it was uh, the best counselling I could have had was the opportunity to put pen to paper. Um, and I, I often look back at it now. I, I still have rough days and, and um, days when the demons of, of my time in custody come back to haunt me. Um, and actually being able to reflect on the writing I did is incredibly powerful. And how much was your actual personal writing supported by the prison system itself? Was it something you were doing 
because you felt you needed to do it yourself or was it something that was actively encouraged? In the first prison I was in, it wasn't encouraged at all. And in fact, the education department in the first prison was, to be frank, pretty useless. I was lucky to then get trans transferred to a prison that had a much more proactive education department. Um, and there was a lady there called Linda um, who encouraged me in my writing. Uh, and in fact, as a prisoner, I delivered some courses in, in the education department there and as a, as a prisoner mentor. Um, and actually the contrast between those two prisons demonstrated the power of creativity in prison to help people to rehabilitate if you've got the right support and that's the key a lot of and prisons are underfunded understaffed um, and often just getting guys out of their cells off their wings and into the education department is a challenge and upon your release then how did you utilize your writing skills to help you back in the outside world for me, as well as processing the issues that led me into prison in the first place, I've utilised that um, in, so I, I do some ex-offender mentoring now um, through NAPRO BAS, um, and I use poetry and the power of writing in those mentoring sessions. Um, and it's also led me um, through a uh, probation engagement group to, to meet CAM. Um, and we're hoping now to work together on some creative projects um, including um, organising a, a large concert at uh, Greenwich University. Um, and it's inspired me as well to look at writing a couple of books, one about CAM's journey, but also about the journey of Penal Reform Solutions and, and CAM's company. Um, and more broadly than that, it's also um, led me to delivering creative writing workshops as well as with Arvon and the Writers Bureau with a, a network of churches in Berkshire, wh where I'm based. Um, and further field as well. And how does teaching uh, working with prisoners differ from working with regular church attendees? It's interesting because um, a lot of a lot of it is actually the same. <laughs> surprisingly, um, what I, I use creative writing to deal with trauma. There's a lot of people. So my church is quite active at working in social reform, and that can be people who've experienced abuse. Um, sexual abuse, uh, people who have themselves been in custody, people who have experienced addiction. So I've used those transferable skills that I developed during my writing experience in prison to broaden the impact. Um, and, and just as it's powerful in rehabilitation of ex-offenders away from criminality, it can also help people to process the reasons behind their addiction or to process their trauma and sometimes for the first time in their lives to face up to that trauma and seek professional help to deal with it. And I, there's a couple of stories um, over the last few months of people who I've helped to support who now are working through a journey of healing as a result of the initial creative writing process instigated by the workshops that I've delivered. Brilliant. Thank you very much for that, Simon. Cam, how much is having a mentor um, important as the prisoner upon release looks to develop a writing career? A mentor is so important. So I have like three mentors um, because I feel like everybody needs developing. There's always room for improvement. And um, I have one mentor from the Longford Trust um, for my scholarship. So they've been mentoring me for the last three years and we meet up every month and they assist me with ideas, 
helped me to, I guess, plan, I guess, my course of action in terms of my writing. Um, and they, they introduced me to other, other connections within the, the industry, right? So um, I think for me, it's so important to surround yourself with people who are interested in the same things that you are. Because by, only by doing this, you're going to get to where you want to be, right? Um, so if you want to be a millionaire and you surround yourself with millionaires, you are going to be a millionaire. Because Some of those ways so in which we might help to improve the experience for uh, prisoners in various parts of the prison estate in their creative writing. Oh, I think we just got Cam back. Sorry, Cam, we lost you there for a moment. Oh, hello. Sorry. my, my We can hear you now. Go for it. My apologies. Um, yeah, what I was saying is that um, in terms of, I guess, how can I say this? In terms of mentorship, I've got three mentors and um, it has been like probably the biggest support that I didn't even realize I needed. Um, every month I have a meeting with my mentor um to do with my creative writing um and the creative arts and he just basically he just guides me checks in with me make sure that i'm mentally okay because it is quite hard um being self-employed trying to carve out a career um especially from a working class background um in the in the creative industries so the support that he gives me is immense he opens doors for me he encourages me when I'm down and I'm feeling like giving up. He he gives me messages of support, you know, um, and he always tries to create opportunities for me. So in terms of what mentorship can do for people um, coming out of the gates, it can help to keep them on the straight and narrow. Firstly, it can keep them intact, uh, in touch with that dream. Because unfortunately, there's a lot of people that have the best intentions when they are in prison. But as soon as they get out and reality hits in and they have responsibility, they've got to find a roof to put over their head. They've got to feed themselves. They've got to clothe themselves. Um, this is when the cycle of recidivism kicks in because change is scary and people, I guess, are comfortable with what they know. They know how to deal with, I guess, where they've been. So when you're going into new areas of your life, of growth and personal development, a mentor can help you navigate that area um where you could easily fall back into i guess your old habits um so for me yeah it's it's been such a an important part of my development and my um i guess move away from recidivism and crime um so yeah definitely more support for people coming out the gates is 100 percent needed and for me as well i see there's a lot of prison I guess education but it actually stops in prison I don't know I hardly know anybody that comes out of prison and goes into back into education um and I think that is a testament to where we are actually missing a trick um prison is supposed to be a time where you reflect where you develop and where you you look at where you went wrong and make positive steps to change your life for the better but um, unfortunately, the way that the current system is set up, this is being overlooked, um, which I believe is also contributing to, I guess, this um, conveyor belt of um, people coming in and out of the system. And I think 
sorry to, 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 to cut in there, Cam. I think that is something, again, where effective prison education departments can make a massive difference. I'm aware of one um, DCAP prison on the south coast of England uh, whose education department actively encourages those involved in creative writing and other creative arts into local colleges. Uh, and if people are being released further away from the prison, they network them into courses um, to continue that journey. Um, but I know the, the governor of this particular prison has been quite active in encouraging people to um, fund this process. And I think that the MOJ and the prison system um, are missing something in not rolling this model out into other prisons because the, the creative talent in prisons is huge. I just wanted to interject there. So um, the COISLA, the COISLA Trust, every year they have thousands and thousands of entrants from people from in and outside of the prison system who I guess um, are involved in the creative arts. And you know, for them to be having shows on the South Bank um, every year, exhibitions to showcase the talent in prisons, goes to show that there is something there. You know, there is something that needs to be nurtured. And I myself are a recipient of the Coisville Awards and um, the feedback that they gave me, and I guess the little bit of support from women really helped me in my career. It, it kind of gave me that that um. I guess that, that sign of authority to say, do you know what, you have got talent, look, you've won an award, you've got, I don't know, this creative writer who's looked over your work and given you feedback, and that's massive, you know? But then what happens is that that's as far as it goes. You get your award and that's it, you know? You, you, you come out of prison and your creative, your creative um, ambitions go out the window because life is in, in front of you now. You need to go and get a construction job or you need to you need to do, I guess, fit into the box that society has created for you. Um, so I think this is where we really need to try and, I guess, encourage people to, I guess, follow their dreams and, and live, live, live their, live their hobbies so they don't have to work another day in their life. Right. Can, can I just um, come in on that, Cam? Because I, yeah. I, I agree with you completely about the cursor in prisons, and I don't want to mm -hmm. do them a disservice because mm -hmm. they actually run a mentorship for people wow. after release. Now, it's not okay. massive, but mm -hmm. it, it is there, and there's actually um, a guy called Leo Cheliotis um, mm -hmm. did an evaluation um, of that program in a while ago, 2016, I think, yeah. and, and found really exactly everything you're saying about that need for support when you come out. Um, yeah. But of course, the problem is the Kerslet is a charity. You know, they've yeah. got a limited amount of money. Mm -hmm. So the capacity isn't that to offer that um, up to everyone. But um, it, it exists. So I, I just didn't want to do the Kerslet a disservice. Yeah. Um, oh. <laughs> I'm with you there, you know, the the Coisters, they are, they are a fantastic organisation um, and they're doing, they've been doing work that nobody else has really been championing in the system for a very long time. Um, so, yeah, well, I have a massive respect for them and what they're doing because they're giving so many people within the system a voice 
and recognition for, I guess, their creative skills. Yes. So, um, again, I'm well, it, it sounds like there are creative ideas out there and ways that we might harness them. I think we'll explore in the final section of the show if we can. Um, I suspect you've certainly helped our listeners to reimagine what prison life could be like, given the right environment, circumstances, and a kind of dedication to personal growth. So shortly then, we'll consider how some of these isolated experiments in creative production in prisons might guide us in developing the curriculum and practice of everyone involved in the criminal justice system. I think that'd be a good place to go next. And we'll be back right after this. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Well, welcome back to the final part of tonight's show on creative writing in prisons. Um, Cam Stevens and Simon Davey have just given us their account of the creative writing and associated projects that they've been involved in. I'd like us now to consider what the future of such creative prison ventures might look like in a sector that is better resourced than it is at present. Ella, how do you think we might facilitate more opportunities for creative curriculum and practice in prisons? Yes. So, I mean, I think this is a tricky one. And I think we have to acknowledge, um, firstly, that, you know, a lot of the issues are structural and go way beyond uh, the criminal justice system, you know, into societal failings, etc. So prison can't fix all the problems and, and certainly poetry in prisons um, can't do that. But on an in, as, as we've been hearing, uh, the individual level, you know, the creative encounter um, it, it is such a meaningful um, sort of experience for, for so many people that um, I think there's a lot of benefit in, in focusing at that kind of micro level. Um, and in fact, um, there's a researcher called Shad Maruna who, um, who looks at, at, at what's called desistance. So rehabilitation is very much the idea that the experts do things to offenders um, and that makes them stop offending. Desistance is a much more kind of person-centered approach which recognises the strengths um, in people who um, have committed crime um, and says, you know, you, you're more than your offence. You, you, you're more than um, the, the, the prison sentence. So, you know, and, and approaching from, from that sort of perspective. Uh, and Shad says, actually, desistance um, may have the potential to be a social movement. So if you get enough people who have had the experience of, as, as both Cam and, and um, um, Simon was saying, um, to sit with themselves, you know, to ask difficult questions, to um, 
I mean, I think there is something about creative writing about the ways that it can make the familiar unfamiliar. We, we retell a story or we, we look at it in a different way. Um, and that can be quite uncomfortable. But the process of doing that and, and creating that internal um, change, I genuinely think can have a ripple effect um, onto the external environment. And I, I think, you know, Cam certainly was talking about that in terms of, of the play that he produced um, around spice and the way that um, it, it, it changed relationships across the prison. And, and I think actually, so the key to a lot of this stuff um, is about the relational dimensions um, of creativity and, and what they can foster. And in fact, in my own research, so I, I went into um, my PhD thinking that art would save the day. And, and, you know, that, that, that's what we needed. We needed more poetry in, in the prison system. And I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I think of at least equal inf- importance is the relationships that develop as a result of that. And um, I think a great illustration of that was Cam talking about um, his um, colleague in the creative writing group um, that we worked in together. Cam's still mentoring that guy. Years later, you know, having left prison and lots of people leave prison and don't want to look back, you know, so it it builds these kind of sustainable relationships. So I think this operates under policy level. Um, And I think it also needs staff who are of that same kind of mindset. And and those staff exist. They very often don't speak publicly about Mm. it. but, and, and I can say for myself, having worked in a number of prisons, um, if you get a member of staff who is a champion of, of a sort of whole regime um, change process, which is about, which is less about punishment and security and more about rehabilitation and, and empowerment, then you, you see, you, you feel it across the whole establishment. So, I think maybe it is about trying to nurture in our prisons those positive, progressive ways forwards. When you get enough examples of it, there must come a point, there must come a tipping point when you can't argue with it anymore. Mm. Because if you try and do it structurally, the problem is, particularly in, in England and Wales, the politicians now have such an ear. There's this idea of popular punitivism that for a long time, you know, politicians kind of left the criminal justice system to the civil servants and the experts, psychologists and the social workers, etc., and said, yeah, yeah, you get on with it. This, you know, this isn't our concern. We don't really understand about it. And, and then maybe back sort of in the 70s, the 80s, we start getting this kind of political mileage and, and weaponization of the criminal justice system, which sort of reaches its apotheosis in, I don't know, Tony Blair saying, you know, tough on crime, tough on the causes of crime, Michael Howard, prison works. Um, so we get this kind of um, um, alignment of punitive popular opinion 
or certainly that's what's represented by the media and the politicians going along with that. And that then makes it really difficult to implement these ideas at the level of policy. I mean, um, the, uh, the court's review of prison education in 2016, I think, recognised that the arts, uh, you know, um, course, uh, court said, um, you know, every time she went into a prison, the first thing that people talked about was the arts project, the, the, the theatre production they put on, the music group that's been doing this amazing thing, the opera company that came to visit. Um, and and it's, it's there and it's a really powerful force. And, and you know, she recommended much more um, of this kind of activity. And I think, I mean, prison governors now have have sort of, um, not carte blanche, but they've got control of their education budget. So again, it, it's kind of down to individual, individual governors. Well, that, so that's interesting, actually, because it brings Sorry, me to this common thread, actually, that I've seen in all three of your stories, actually, which is the degree to which um, you've all been reliant to some degree on encounters, fortunate encounters, with particularly inspirational individuals. Cam, do you see that when you look back at your experience? One million percent. I think um, Dr. Simpson touched on some very important points there. Firstly, um, this punitive um, measure that the, or narrative that I guess the government is pushing and that um, big media is pushing, 95% of people that go into prison come back out. You're being tough on people that are going to come back out into the society and they're going to be your neighbour, you know. Um, all we're doing is making tougher criminals, unfortunately, and that is um, that is the bottom line. People are going into prisons and they're coming out more broken than when they went in in the first place, um, which is having a massive impact, I guess, on the cycle of recidivism. We need to be having a whole systems approach where, I guess, residents and staff are coming together to to, I guess, sort out the problems in their communities. Um, we need to get rid of this demonos attitude um, to people in prison. Um, the sad fact is one in four of us are affected by prison. Yeah, Somebody, either in our family or a friend, has the experience of the criminal justice. We need to stop turning our back on these people and offer them a chance to come back into society. Stop labelling them and making them feel like they are not part of our society because everybody is one step away from making a mistake that could end up with them being incarcerated. It's just one bad decision. So um, in terms of going forward, what I see what is needed is staff. We need to employ the right staff to do the job. Um, it's too easy. The, the, the staffing numbers are so bad within the prison service that anybody can get a job, you know. Um, an 18-year-old kid coming out of, out of uni or college, you know, can go and get a job in as that, but he can also join the police or the prison service. And a lot of people ain't ready for, I guess, what they encounter coming into the criminal justice system. So um, we need to look at more community alternatives to, to prison um, and definitely concentrate on the creative aspects. Um, because as Dr. Simpson says, there is such a vast amount of talent that is in prison that is untapped, like massive reserves that could be such a 
addition to society. Like I take myself, for example, I came out of prison. Um, I've had a long history of offending, but the seed of hope was planted in my head and I didn't know what was going to happen. But I came out and I followed this path and I ended up being a founder of a company that raised a million pounds and employed 35 people internationally within six months. And I have no tech background experience. So for me to be able to come out and do this, just from being inspired, there's 90,000 people in the penal system. Imagine if everybody like that was inspired to come out and do something positive. Um, so yeah, that's what I've got to say. Simon, have you got anything that you want to add on this? I mean, I think I, I largely agree with most of what you've said. Um, I think there has to be a change of attitude. Um, there, there has to be a change of attitude towards punishment and, and, and less focus on a punitive um, approach. Obviously, there has to be punishment when you break the law. But once you have someone in custody or you have someone in the system, you have to ask the question, well, what next? Um, as a society, we're missing a trick in that we don't, in general, welcome people back into society. People are labelled. I've experienced it myself. Um, I think that we what we need to be doing is looking at solutions like the creative arts, um, to and using evidence-based studies to encourage the system to change um, and to, for, for ministers and senior decision makers to have more exposure to those processes too um, and hopefully by a by a process of attrition uh, change their approach. Is there something that people working in mainstream education could do as well Simon to improve their understanding of the prison education system? Yes, I think so. And in fact, if you look at a project in uh, Finland, off the top of my head, I can't remember the, the name of it, but I, I shall message you with it uh, later. Um, there's a, a prison there which actually actively links with a local college and a local high school. And it's a two-way process whereby the prisoners in that prison are working with young people at risk of offending. But equally, the teachers there work with the prison. Um, and often if prisoners haven't got the basic levels of education, they support them through those basic levels of education and then right into college and university and into the creative art professions. Um, and there's no reason why that can't happen here, as you alluded to earlier on. Um, it's, there are staff in prisons who are very pro-creative arts, see the power of the creative arts for changing people. Um, and local communities need to be more involved in what happens in a prison. Um, local schools, local colleges, local universities and local community groups. I remember a, a project up in Birmingham um, a couple of years ago where Birmingham prison uh, twinned with a network of interfaith groups and a local college. And again, you saw you saw the, the idea that actually the local community was saying, OK, we, to the offenders in this prison that are coming out into the Birmingham area, we love you, we care about you and we want to support you back into society and they use the creative arts and creative arts education to do that. Thank you. Cam, is there anything more that can be done at mainstream school level, do you think, to perhaps ensure that offenders make the change earlier in their lives rather than perhaps wasting years? Hi, yes, um, most definitely. So um, my partner is a primary school teacher and she's an art teacher, in fact. And um, she brought home some work the other day. She told me that she had asked the children in her class to do a self-portrait. 
and she showed me two pieces of work. The first one was a beautiful self-portrait of, of a child. The second one was a portrait that had scribbles all over it, so you couldn't even see the face. Now, to me, that is a clear indication that um, something is going on with this child. And unfortunately, the pipeline from school to prison is real. You know, um, when children are having difficulties at home, they end up being kicked out of school, going to Prus and other um, organizations or, or the youth offending team. And unfortunately, this is how they fall into the criminal justice system. So I'm currently working in um, schools that with kids that are at risk of going into the criminal justice system. Um, some of them are being um, sent around the country um, by gangs doing county lines. Some of them have got massive trauma. And until we, as a society, start to take, I guess, positive action in protecting our young children and looking at different ways or different means of education in terms of grading, structure, I think right now everything is pushed around the academic side of things, but I think there's a little more practical skills that can be um, transferable into business that we need to really concentrate on because um, people have different learning styles. And I guess we just need to be a bit more receptive to what is going on within our communities as a whole. And what do the young and people you work think, with um, tell you they need, Cam? Support. They need people like me who have been through what they've been through. Someone who they can look up to and say, do you know what, he's been there, but he got over it, he's got through it, and he's doing well with his life. Um, they just need somebody who looks like them, who they can identify with, who can be, I guess, a mentor to them. You know, everybody just needs somebody, somebody who they can identify with, right? Somebody who can reach these kids. And um, there is an army of people out there with lived experience that want to give back, that have made a mistake, have realised that, you know, um, what they did wasn't right. And they want to give back, but none of these stories are being put out in the press. It's all just bad news, bad news, bad news. We just really need to change the narrative around people and um, people in prison. And how receptive do you find uh, schools and colleges in particular are at working with former offenders? So right now, um, they are being very, very receptive. I, I work with a number of organisations that are pushing um, diversity, inclusion, um, and uh, a, a non, a non, I guess, um, how can I say, judgmental approach to people who have been in prisons. So um, I, I've been speaking to a, a young lady. She has a recruitment company, and she works with companies that give. Um, equal rights to people. So they don't look about, about your your past, they just look about what your skill set is. And um, it's more initiatives like this that we need. We need the public to get on board, to speak out, you know? When we get people start speaking out saying, you know what, I've been touched by the criminal justice, yeah? There's so many people in high level employment positions that have been touched by the criminal justice who have turned their life around. People can change, people can change. So um, I guess that's what I've got to say about that. And I hope that your listeners got something um, from this conversation tonight because I know it's something that we are all very passionate about. I think that's um, 
that's the power in the conversation that we're having now is is highlighting those stories of change and really whatever our role in the education system or in penal reform or in the media it, we need to be getting those stories out there um, to be pushing those stories with decision makers with the media and showing the power of change the power not just of the creative arts but of effective support of an effective criminal justice system um, to give people that opportunity to change people ultimately can only change themselves um, mm -hmm. but with the right support and, and just loving people it's one thing that i've found with all the various projects i'm involved with is if you just come alongside someone open doors for them give them opportunities and ultimately just love them as a fellow human being um as a brother or a sister that's where the power of change lies in that and in telling stories um, and in humanizing this debate my previous life in political casework and and in lobbying it's all it dehumanizes i mean i worked across various different policy areas not just in criminal justice but the one commonality is when when you're sitting in briefings with ministers the stories are dehumanized. It's all about statistics and kind of complex points of law. We need to humanize these stories and get these stories out there. Thank you very much. I think it's a very powerful point on which to draw this conversation to a close, Simon. Um, thank you very much, Cam, Simon and Ella for your contributions this evening. Um, Ella, where might our listeners find out more about your research into creativity in prisons? So I have um, a bio on the University of Greenwich um, website, which, which also actually we've, we're I love being here because we're really proactive about prison uh, university partnerships, which is, isn't the case in all universities at the moment. Um, so yeah, I've got a biography up there with um, a link to my email. Um, and yeah, I would really welcome feedback and, and, and people's thoughts um on on the show and the discussion that we've had tonight um thank you thank you very much and thank cam so where much. might our listeners go if they want to find out more about your documentary work in prisons so you can check me out on linkedin um kamali stevens um grow transform belong and penal reform solutions and i just wanted to say a big thank you for inviting us on the show today and i hope that um, in the future, we're going to have our follow-up conversation so we can tell you about all the plans that we have in motion at the moment. Excellent. I, th I think we're all going to be looking forward to that greatly. Thank you all for being such great guests tonight. I hope our listeners have gained a fuller appreciation of some of the challenges and opportunities that make prison education the important and contested domain that it is today in the context of the pressures on justice spending and the prejudices of an often lazy or ill-informed press. Thank you very much indeed. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Bye -bye. And thanks to everyone who has tuned in this evening and texted the show. Do check out our other Teachers Talk radio shows this week. Nathan Jin's show on riots and group de-escalation in schools on Thursday the 2nd of March looks pertinent given our conversation this evening. And Ben Thomas will be covering an issue close to my own heart, the merits of state school and private school education on Tuesday, the 28th of February. And don't forget to tune in to the Teachers Talk Radio Twitter Spaces show at 7.30 on Friday, the 3rd of March, 
to hear the NEU hustings Q&A with Daniel Cabedi and Neve Sweeney to find out what they think about the future of the profession. As always, you can catch up with anything you've missed with our excellent and ever-growing panel of teacher presenters at www.ttradio.org. And if you have something you want to say or ask others about education here in the UK or further afield, then perhaps you should consider applying to join the station as a show host. We are always on the lookout for those with current or recent experience of the classroom and other less familiar educational settings. Full details can be found on our website, www.ttradio.org. That's all from me for this month. So thank you for listening. I wish you good luck and fortitude for the busy half term ahead. And we will speak again in March. Goodbye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.